From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Welcome once again to Let the Bible Speak. Today we continue a series of studies in Paul's Epistle to the Romans, messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of the Let the Bible Speak radio ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of the great 19th century English preacher Charles Hatton Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text comes from the Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For several days we have been dwelling upon the Savior's passion, and for some little time to come we shall linger there. In beginning a new month, let us seek the same desires after our Lord as those which glowed in the heart of the elect spouse. See how she leaps at once to him. There are no prefatory words. She does not even mention his name. She is in the heart of her theme at once, for she speaks of him who was the only him in the world to her. How bold is her love! It was much condescension which permitted the weeping penitent to anoint his feet with spikenard. It was rich love which allowed the gentle Mary to sit at his feet and learn of him. But here love, strong, fervent love, aspires to higher tokens of regard and closer signs of fellowship. Esther trembled in the presence of Ahasuerus, but the spouse in joyful liberty of perfect love knows no fear. If we have received the same free spirit, we also may ask the like. By kisses we suppose to be intended those varied manifestations of affection by which the believer is made to enjoy the love of Jesus. The kiss of reconciliation we enjoyed at our conversion, and it was sweet as honey dropping from the comb. The kiss of acceptance is still warm on our brow, as we know that He hath accepted our persons and our works through rich grace. The kiss of daily present communion is that which we pant after to be repeated day after day, till it is changed into the kiss of reception, which removes the soul from earth, and the kiss of consummation, which fills it with the joy of heaven. Faith is our walk, but fellowship sensibly felt is our rest. Faith is the road, but communion with Jesus is the well from which the pilgrim drinks. O lover of our souls, be not strange to us. Let the lips of thy blessing meet the lips of our asking. Let the lips of thy fullness touch the lips of our need, and straightway the kiss will be effected.
Imagine a boy growing up under the influence of a drunken father, participating in the violence and bloodshed of Northern Ireland in the 1970s, and being imprisoned in the maze, the most notorious prison in the country. Yet, by the grace of God and the influence of caring loved ones, this young man's life was transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thorough was the change that Thomas Martin became a powerful preacher whose testimony and ministry has seen many men and women brought to new life in Christ. Thomas Martin's story of the miracle of God's saving grace has been set down in a book entitled Out of the Maze, written by Noel Davidson. And Let the Bible Speak is happy to make copies of this encouraging and heartwarming book available free of charge to all who request it. For a free copy of Out of the Maze, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of Out of the Maze, and we'll be happy to provide it. But don't delay. The supply of this book is very limited.
continuing this series in Romans chapter 8, Dr. Cairns is focusing on verse 9, in which the Apostle Paul shows how a person may know that he truly belongs to Christ. The text reveals that salvation is the work of the triune God. It contains references to all three persons of the Holy Trinity, and each has a role in the salvation of a soul. The Father planned salvation, the Son purchased it, and the Holy Spirit applies it. Then we see that this work of God produces a glorious deliverance for God's people, delivering the repentant sinner from a state of condemnation and alienation into a standing of acceptance before God. Now Dr. Cairns continues this message called Total Transformation. Sinners are not sick, simply. They're dead, dead in trespasses and in sin. Sinners are not just mostly evil or balanced between good and evil. Toward God, they are utterly, completely, and irreversibly depraved. And that corruption touches every part of their being. And especially... It's corrupted the will. So look at the state of sinners. Read Ephesians 2 again. Dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who is now energizing in the children of disobedience. It's a bleak and black and terrible picture. And if there were no but God, there would be no gospel story. How hard is the work of salvation? It's a work that cannot be done by sinners for themselves. It's a work that cannot be done by the church for sinners. I get sick looking at dressed up clowns. They're better off in a circus than a church with their copes and their mitres and their sprinkling holy water and their shaking Uh, some incense around the place, and they tell the people they're conveying grace, and their lies, they're conveying nothing. Nothing. Salvation is a hard and difficult work. It cannot be accomplished by the energy of man, whether in the church or out of the church. It is not conveyed by the hands of a pope, a priest, a bishop, or a pastor. It's not self-generated. It's not church-generated. It's not sacrament-generated. It is the work of God. Salvation is of the Lord. It is a difficult thing. Only the wisdom of God could devise the plan of salvation. Only the power of God could effect the plan. Only the resources of God were great enough To pay the price. It's a divine work. How hard must be the work of salvation. Woe be to the man then who imagines that he will save himself. Woe be to the poor fool who is going through life deluded. Saying when I get to the pearly gates. I'm going to say this to God, and I'm going to say something else to God. Poor fools, the Bible tells me, when they stand before God, they were speechless. Salvation 
so difficult, only God can do it. Only God can do it. That's why I believe in what theologians call irresistible grace. By irresistible grace is simply meant that in the act of regenerating a soul, God does a miracle where he brings the dead to life, where he communicates life by his own sovereign power. And there's not a power in hell or earth can stand in the way of the miraculous working of God the Holy Spirit. And when he does that work, the result is faith and repentance in the heart of its recipient. God does the work. How holy a work must be this work of salvation. The work of salvation... Yes, it is a work of God's love. It is a work that displays the infinite mercy and goodness and kindness of our God. But remember, he says, I am the high and the lofty one who inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. And the work of salvation must satisfy the infinite holiness and absolute justice of God. Sin produces death. Sin wreaks havoc and it brings the curse. Sin is not dismissed with a uh, some gesture. God says, take it away. Sin is paid for. Justice is satisfied. That's why only God can do it. How holy is this work? You come to the center cross at Calvary. And there in that awful darkness, there's a work taking place that no archangel even can adequately describe where the Son of God bears his breast to divine justice. And the sword of God's judgment plunges into a soul where the Lord Jesus Christ takes upon himself all the sins of all his believing people, all the guilt, all the curse, all the condemnation. He takes the law of God in its full fury, the justice of God with all its demands, And he meets them every one. How holy is the work of God's salvation. How harmonious a work it must be. I've said it's the work of the Holy Trinity. And here's a big, big theological area that I'm only skating thinly or lightly over tonight. There are no tensions between the work of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's no disagreement in the Godhead. That should go without saying. There's a great harmony here. What the Father planned, the Son purchased. And what the Son purchased, the Spirit applies. The plan and the purchase and the power 
They're all exercised with the same purpose in mind and with the same people in mind. And that's what guarantees the absolute success of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The Father planned it. The Son purchased it. And the Spirit applies it. And thank God there's an absolute harmony between them. It's a word that I very rarely use in the pulpit for certainly couldn't be used of me, and I'm not going to use it of anybody else then. But uh, there's a word that's not often used theologically, and yet, as I thought, it's the best word in the English language I know for it. How hard a work must be the work of salvation. It's God's work. How holy must this work be? How harmonious a work it is. But how handsome a work it is. Not just in the sense that it's lovely in all its parts and its total consistency. When you talk about a handsome payment, you're talking about something that's generous. Something that's genial or cheering. And that's why I think this is one of the, the loveliest words you can use concerning the work of the triune God for our salvation. How handsome a work. Here you have all the generosity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All that the wisdom of God could conceive. All that the power of God could produce. All that the blood of Christ could purchase. And God sets it all freely before sinners. You remember that lovely parable of the Lord Jesus? And he said, go out and tell them that the tables are spread. Come, for all things are now ready. The feast is spread. What a feast there is. How full is the giving of our God. Salvation is the work of the triune God. Second thing I have to say from this text then is that this work of God produces a glorious deliverance for God's people. According to what we've read in Romans 8, man's natural state can be described with three words. Condemnation, domination by sin, self, and Satan, and alienation. Those are three words that sum up man's natural state. Condemnation, domination, alienation. And the Lord has dealt with all three, delivering man who trusts in Christ from all three. First, condemnation, he replaces with acceptance. Look at verse 8, the very end of the, well, this last statement, verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh. 
Now, what's the connection? What's the, what's the absolutely clear deduction from this? They that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh. Therefore, now you can please God, and you do please God. The teaching here is this, that the believer's person and the believer's works are now pleasing and acceptable to God. There's no more condemnation. He's no longer under condemnation. He's accepted and acceptable. Let's deal with this person. The great text in this connection is Ephesians 1 verse 6, where we're told, He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. <clears throat> and the Beloved is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us accepted in His Beloved Son. Now the word accepted there means... He has graced us. It's not a very often used word as a verb. We don't normally talk about grace as a verb. But that's the force of it. He has graced us. What it means is, He has made us objects of His grace and favor. In His beloved Son, he has made us objects of His grace and favor. We are no longer under condemnation. We are no longer under His wrath and curse. Now He says, I have made you in Christ, not because of what you have done, but because of what He has done. I have made you objects of my favor. But notice it's not just in Christ here. In Ephesians, those words, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, they appear again and again. But it's now in the Beloved. He's speaking not only of His Son, but of His Son as the object of His peculiar love. And He's saying, all the love then that I have for my Son, I open up that love to you, and I pour out upon you the very love that my Son commands by his life and by his obedience, that love of complacency, that love of acceptance, I give it to you without you having deserved it. Because he deserved it. I accept your person. I let that sink in. This is what it means to be a Christian. No longer condemned. Accepted of God. Not just forgiven, yes, forgiven, but a whole lot more. Embraced in the arms of the Almighty and favored with the very love that he bears to his son. Accepted. How often has the devil come raking up your past? How often has he brought up those dark scenes? How often has he told you you're just a thing? Not even worthy to be a person. You're just a thing. You're vile, you're rotten, you're worthless. You look at yourself, you bow your head and you feel the shame. But here the scripture bids you look up and see the beloved. See the beloved. And God says, that's where I see you.
I don't see you in your past. I don't look at you in your sin. I look at you in the Beloved. And I accept you. Your person. Your person. Accepted of God. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We are here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (laughs) 